0: faithwire.com a surprise supreme court retirement announcement cbn white house correspondent caitlin burke stops by on that and more today is wednesday january 26 2022 i'm dan andros love that top story and more on today's four and three podcast from cbn's faithwire just want to welcome in everyone from cbn news's daily rundown we're here every wednesday with y'all we are glad you are here and joining me, as always, Trey Gons-Phillips and Billy Hallowell from CBN's Faithwire with a look at what's coming up. What's going on, fellas?
1: Doing well. How are you?
2: You know, just great. Just,
1: just living Not the dream, you. as you'd say, Billy. Living the dream, yes. right?
2: Yes. We're halfway through the week. It's hump day. So yeah, it's a good, right. it's There a good you day. go. There you go. So what's coming up? So I am going to be talking about this freedom convoy that's going through Canada right now. It's thousands potentially of truckers. It could be actually the longest convoy in history. Mm. Uh, they're protesting vaccine mandates. So we'll talk about the response to that. Cool. Oh, wow. Wow. That's that's interesting. I'm going to be talking
1: about South Dakota Governor Christine Noem's um, failed mission to get basically you know sort of a, a moment of silence, a moment for people to pray in public schools that has failed. And so we'll talk about that.
0: All right, all sounds good. Looking forward to that. We are going to start right here with the big announcement today uh, that kind of, I think, surprised a lot of people. Justice Stephen Breyer uh, has announced that he will be retiring uh, from the Supreme Court. He said he will step down from the Supreme Court at the end of the current term. Uh, This was according to people familiar with his thinking. Uh, That's from an NBC News report. Breyer is the Clinton-nominated justice and is one of three how they would describe, quote unquote, liberal justices on the Supreme Court uh, alongside Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan. So there, there's a lot um, there's a lot going on and a play with this. And so we're going to bring in right now CBN, a White House correspondent, Caitlin Burke, who was at the White House press briefing today. So we're going to talk about that as well, because that's a whole other interesting, fascinating kind of process. So, Caitlin, thanks for uh, stopping by here for a few minutes on this.
3: Thanks for having me. Yeah. Happy to be with you
0: guys. So this came up. Obviously, this news broke today and then not long before this briefing that you were at um, with Jen Psaki. So uh, tell us a little bit about how the White House responded to this news.
3: Well, before the briefing, Psaki tweeted out, it has always been the decision of any Supreme Court justice if and when they decide to retire and how they want to announce it. And that remains the case today. We have no additional details or information to share from the White House. And I will say that's basically what she stuck to the entire <laughs> briefing, despite just about every reporter in the room's efforts to somehow get around that and you know bring up hypotheticals and you know mm. ask ask questions with as little detail as possible. Um she was pretty firm in not wanting to speak to it um and that they would wait for Justice Breyer to come out and make the announcement before the White House commented.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic because, as we know, during Trump's uh, presidency, of course, you had uh, a couple of spots switching there and retirements happening and a a death. Um, So, you know, it's it's uh, one of those situations that has become so political now. And so um, I, I think just you already have the speculations already flying about, you know, what the timing of this, the motivation of this is this because they just you know it's gonna it's inevitable for Breyer to step down at some point and they're like you got to do it now while biden's in the white house um so how much of that have you heard you know swirling around in washington from the, the the political ramifications of all this
3: well you know i've covered the supreme court a little bit and it's interesting because Breyer has really tried to keep politics out of hmm. um what he's doing and And so I don't know that he would be thrilled with the fact that, you know, this this announcement or preface to his announcement has become so political. And, you know, it kind of makes me wonder if the White House leaked it for political reasons and and that could kind of piss him off. I'm not sure. Um, We'll see. We'll see when he makes his announcement. I don't know if if he knew that it was going to be leaked as soon as it was, but. You know, we got to wait to hear from him.
1: Yeah. That was my first thought. You know, is his hand being, you know, sort of pushed in the direction or are they, Mm -hmm. is somebody sort of, you know, making it happen faster than it would have? You just want, you wonder in politics.
3: Yes, definitely.
2: Yeah. One thing too that I, I find interesting over the years is that it's become, so incredibly politicized despite the court's best efforts for it to not be politicized uh they're framed so often as activists there are leaks seemingly to be happening more and more more frequently i want to ask you as somebody who has covered the supreme court what how did how how do you see that uh playing out uh in some of your reporting and how the the court has responded to the hyper politicization of all of this
3: well, in the few cases that I've covered, it feels like every single case, one of the justices in their questioning has mentioned that they don't want to politicize something or that that's not their role, that they're not going to go there. So it seems mm-hmm. like it's something that they're very aware of and that they are very adamant about kind of stepping back from. Um, so that that's one thing that has really stood out to me, I think.
0: Hmm. So, I, Caitlin, I want to move on to uh, just because it's a process. I think people don't understand. You know, they see sort of this uh, show that happens with the White House press briefings, you know, whenever they're going on. And I don't think people get have a good sense of the behind the scenes and what it's like. And you got in there today and and it was, it was a process just to get in there today. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah. So I haven't been to any briefing pre COVID. Um, but I will say pre Omicron, uh, things were, (laughs) it was much easier to get in the door. Um, you know, since Omicron, they have limited the number of reporters that are allowed at the briefings um, before, so really before January, um, the room was packed, especially if it was a big news day. The aisles were packed, every chair was filled, and yes, everybody had to wear masks, but the just the press... Room and offices connected to it. Everything was just full, and so it was shocking to me today because I think there's like eight eight reporters that are allowed to be in the chairs, um, and so I walked in ahead of time, and the building just felt so empty. <laughs> and mm-hmm. So that was that was kind of weird. But um, they have also added on some requirements for anyone who's going to be in the briefing room, whether that's reporters or videographers or. Whatever. Um, So you are basically, uh, the reporters are on a rotation. And so that started about three weeks ago. And we've just been waiting to find out that like our our seat is up, that, uh, that our rotation is is up. And so we finally got the email yesterday that we would have a spot today and had to let them know immediately if we were going to attend or else they were going to move on to the next person on the list. And so we quickly responded. And then they let us know that we needed to... I needed to go and get a COVID test um, morning of the briefing. So this morning, and it's, I could have done like an at-home test by myself, but then I have to provide them proof of it. And there's a few (laughs) more hoops to jump through. So I decided to go the route of the White House provided test, um, which you have to take you know, a couple hours ahead of the briefing. So came in early this morning, went and got my rapid COVID test from the White House staff and got a little wristband to prove that I was cleared. And then they require everyone not just to wear a mask, but to specifically wear a KN95 or N95 mask. So everybody is pretty masked up in there. (laughs) Um, with, with very secure, heavy duty medical grade masks. Um, and so, yeah, those were the biggest things. Just, it was empty there were you know, the testing requirements and for some of the people that go there every day, I mean, they're getting tested every morning. Doesn't matter your vaccination status. Um, and so, yeah, Yeah. there's there's a little bit involved. How, m-
0: how much do you think goes into like who they're picking? I mean, is it sort of just random and they're trying to be fair? Cause I mean, you can tell when, when president Biden, for example, is doing a press conference. It's very obvious. They've given him a list of, here's who I'm supposed to call on. Like, he's kind of saying the things out loud you're probably not supposed to. Like, here's who here's who they told me to call on, you know? And you're like, oh, okay. Is it like that in the, in the press briefing, do you think? Do you think they're kind of oh, really yeah. strategically like, okay, we're going to talk to so-and-so? I mean, do oh, you yeah. have any emailing with Jen Psaki at all? You know, that...
3: <laughs> no, and it's very frustrating. Pre-January, pre-Omicron, um, she would literally in the exact same order every briefing give questions to the exact same people it was the people who have seats at the front of the room and i mean it was it was pointless it felt like to even come prepared with a question because she never ever called on us. <laughs> and so, I mean, it was like, basically, if you sit in the back half of the room, you can assume no matter how much you raise your hand, you're not going to get a question. Um, I never once received one during the pre-Omicron days. Um, and so I I think she very much has her set people. And of course, they're, you know, the the bigger news outlets. spots. Yeah. Fox gets a question. CNN gets a question. ABC gets a question. You know, the ones you would expect. Yeah,
0: and it's (laughs) interesting with that. Ducey is getting the questions a lot because um, it's like they know he's going to ask a critical question. They just know that he's... It's essentially the role reversal, the Jim Acosta role, you know, where you've got the foil there that's kind of the main one that's going to really poke the bear. And so they... I mean, it just goes to show that they want that too. Like, they're looking for that moment on their side as well to sort of... You know, it, it's kind of funny to watch the media because it's like, you know, you have the right leaning media will be like, watch Steve Ducey just own Jen Psaki. And then, you know, this <laughs> the same exact question, you have other outlets going, look at Jen Psaki just schooled. You know, it's like they know that it's good for both sides.
3: Yes. Yes. And it was funny. I was there on Jen Psaki's birthday. And before Pete Ducey asked his question, he said, happy birthday. And she said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Be careful. If you're nice to me, all the conspiracy theorists are going to go crazy. They
0: have,
3: you know, yes, he's going to ask critical questions, but they have have a nice banter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You can see that they don't hate each other. So, but you did now, Caitlin, look, you got a question today. So you, you, you did get to answer, ask one. And I thought she deflected. I mean, it, it was a good question. And, you know, she turned it around. And tell, tell how she turned it around on you. Because I think it's a fair question. And she kind of dodged it. She she did a little dance. Oh,
3: guys, I'm not going to lie. I was a little mortified. <laughs> it, was, it was my first White House briefing question. And, I, you know, I will admit I wasn't prepared enough. Uh, so basically my question was about inflation. And I asked... You know, as we are preparing to potentially have interest rates go up to help deal with inflation, a big factor that many point out with our current inflation levels is government spending. And so my question was, um, you know, as parts of the Build Back Better bill start to come through and potentially get passed, given that it's not fully funded, Will that later down the road raise inflation again and increase our deficit? So instead of answering the question, she fired back at me. Well, who says it's not paid for? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I was I was conferring with our economic expert at CBN. I told him that the producer wanted inflation question. That's what he suggested. And I should have done more research to be prepared to answer that question. But I came in with a question (laughs) that had been sent on to me. Yeah, look, (laughs) but
0: but that's a good question. And I think, you know, she's obviously she's doing this every day or, or most days. And so she's like to me, that shows she didn't have an answer. And and she actually took a risk because if you happen to have that name, you know that that source, you know, ready at that moment, well, then what would she have said? Right? She just took a yeah. gamble that you didn't have it because, like, you know, uh, because I think that's a very reasonable question, and and to me that just shows that she sort of deflected it. So
1: well, it's a common sense question, too. yeah, and, and exactly. it's almost like um, everybody, you know, everybody paying attention, you know. So, but but yeah, that's I mean. Bravo to both of you, though. And I think, <laughs> yeah. too, look, it's, it's a tough position for yes. for her to be in and for you to be in. So I, I always admire watching, you know, people take that on. So congrats to you <laughs> well, for doing it.
3: Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I, just... do, I do now know the answer to the question. Well, let's now. have it. Guys, let's have it then. If you guys are curious. And I will say, she and I both knew in that moment that there are people who say it's not paid for. I just couldn't tell her who they were. So uh, it is actually the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office that has said— Oh, just the CBO. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's (laughs) not just a random economist uh, that has said that the Build Back Better bill— is not fully paid for and would add $365 billion to the national deficit between 2022 and 2031. So from, from my understanding, the biggest thing that makes it not paid for is that many of the programs and tax credits um, say that they'll expire after a year or three years or six years. And so CBO is saying that's incredibly unlikely, you know, politicians in the future will be pressured to continue them and build back better does not fund them as long as they will likely be continued. And so that will actually lead to significant extra funding that is required.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a very fair question. You did a good job there. I wouldn't sweat it too much. We'll uh, we'll we'll get we'll get Jen Saki next time and we'll make sure that, uh, you know, that that we hold her feet to the fire on that. But, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good job there. I think it's a good question. And uh, I mean, I I can only imagine the pressure and the intensity, though, of that room. It's certainly not as easy as it looks, I would imagine.
2: It doesn't well, look unless, easy, <laughs> unless you are are Jim Acosta at CNN or Peter Ducey at Fox News. Like it's well, a pretty thankless job in both directions because you it's you know unless you're going to get a made for TV soundbite moment. Right. Uh, if you're asking an actual question that you know has some uh, some weight to it, like the question you were asking, Caitlin, which again I just can't. It is quite a gamble that because it's the CBO. An organization that everybody knows about <laughs> right and certainly jen to say well i don't know of any economists or any uh, uh, you know uh analysis uh, or analysts who don't think this is paid for it's like oh, i don't know i think you probably know about the cbo <laughs> you might have, uh, so you might have heard of that but you know i think good job a good question uh, and you can always you know maybe maybe next time you're in the rotation you'll get a question you can follow up with her on that
3: <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I do plan to email her and and answer her question just so that she- <laughs> there you
2: she's aware. Yeah. Yeah. So she so knows. We don't yeah. leave her
3: hanging, you know, yes. right, indeed. Her hanging in the briefing.
2: Yes. Just well, a, by the way, email. Yeah, just <laughs> the CBO. It's just the CBO. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like that. I like <laughs> you that. You
3: may have heard of them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> see, and that see
0: Caitlin's a professional, so you're not going to get theatrics like like Jim Acosta is out there. <laughs> he was trying to get like his own. I mean, he got what he wanted out of that gig. He got his own show. Uh, on the network and you know that's you know that's what he was going for it was an audition for him so instead of just asking an actual question like a journalist <laughs> would do like caitlin would do so all right well caitlin thanks for popping by here for a few minutes fascinating to get a behind the scenes look at just kind of an experience that uh is is truly a unique thing uh to do so we uh, we appreciate you spending a few minutes here
3: no problem thanks for having me guys
0: all right thanks to uh caitlin burke for joining us there and um let's head on into uh, story number two
2: Yeah, so uh, moving over to Canada, from the White House to Canada. So uh, massive crowds uh, were seen cheering this morning, yesterday and this morning, uh, when Canadian truckers uh, finally reached Ontario. Uh, So they've been traveling uh, in what they've called the Freedom Convoy uh, for a while now, since the weekend, protesting vaccination mandates. Uh, So according to Toronto Sun, um, the Guinness World Record right now for the longest recorded truck convoy is a little more than 4.5 miles in Egypt in 2020. I'm not certain what their convoy was about, but uh, the Freedom Convoy is traveling from British Columbia to Ottawa uh, and is said to be considerably longer than that. Uh, So they may be setting a new record, Uh, though that's not the purpose of of why they're doing it. So uh, with more than 85% of Canada's 120,000 truck drivers who regularly cross into the U.S. already fully vaccinated against COVID-19 there could be as many as 16,000 who could be sidelined uh, because of new vaccination restrictions both in Canada uh, and implemented by President Joe Biden here in the United States and that's what they are protesting. So many of the truckers participating in the protest uh, did so after Canada's January 15th deadline, which forces unvaccinated drivers to commit uh, to two weeks of isolation and submit negative COVID-19 tests before they're allowed back into Canada. Uh, And in the U.S., similarly, the Biden administration implemented new restrictions this past weekend, forcing non-U.S. citizens who are entering the country at the Canadian border to show proof of vaccination uh, before uh, being permitted to come in the United States, and if they don't, uh, they also would have to undergo pretty stringent restrictions, like the two-week uh, isolation and quarantine thing, and then a negative test after that, uh, which obviously would uh, significantly hamper an already incredibly. Uh, crippled uh, supply chain. Uh, So that's why uh, these truckers have been protesting. And according to CBC News uh, this morning, more than 1,000 supporters braved dangerously cold temperatures. At, At some points, it was below 30 degrees. Uh, in certain areas, uh, they came outside to greet the convoys that passed through Manitoba, uh, obviously en route, like I said, to Ottawa. Uh, so the convoy has been causing severe traffic problems, forcing some people to be stuck on the highway uh, for more than an hour at some times. Uh, most, though, who CBC News talked to at least don't seem to mind. They very much support uh, the cause. Robert Jorgensen, a trucker from Winnipeg, joined the drivers along the way, and he told CNB, uh, CBC that he plans to travel with the convoy uh, all the way to Canada's capital city. He said, this isn't even about a vaccine anymore. It's not. It's not about a vaccine mandate on truckers. I have been free my whole life, and somehow now I'm not. Uh, this is Canada. Canada. Another supporter, Salvatore Vitro, uh, he's not even a trucker, but he's followed the demonstrators uh, from British Columbia and now into Ontario uh, as a show of support for the cause. He said that he is not an extremist, but vowed to remain in Ottawa until Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau puts an end to the country's vaccination requirements. Uh, another person, Trevor Gatchel, uh, he's assisted truckers by giving them food, water, and windshield washer fluid along the way. Uh, he said that he's supporting the drivers because I want the right to choose for myself as well, uh, referring to vaccination. He said, I'm not anti-vax or anything like that. I just want to be able to make my own choice. Uh, so this has been a a huge demonstration that's been happening for days, and it hasn't gotten a whole lot of press coverage. It has in Canada, but it hasn't gotten much press coverage here in the United States, uh, even though the protest is partly because of the restrictions the Biden administration has put on the border. uh, And it's obviously impacting uh, the Canadian workforce. Uh, So one citizen journalist there, he said, every overpass is filled with people just like this one. And he tweeted a video of what looked to be like, you know, tens if not hundreds of people across an overpass all cheering and and waving uh, Canadian flags and all that uh, in support of the drivers. He said uh, the convoy has just started and Justin Trudeau is not nearly as concerned uh, as he should be. Uh, So this morning they left Kenora, Ontario, heading into Thunder Bay, Ontario, uh, and are expected uh, later this week to get to Ottawa. So a GoFundMe account was also set up by the Convoy or- organizers and they've raised $5.3 million so far. However, and this is an interesting part, guys, according to the Canadian press, the crowdfunding site is withholding the cash. Uh, until a clear plan is presented as to how the money will be used. A spokesperson for GoFundMe said, we require that fundraisers be transparent about the flow of funds and have a clear plan for how those funds will be spent. In this case, we are in touch with the organizer to verify that information. Uh, The spokesperson went on to say that funds will be safely held until the organizer is able to provide the documentation to our team about how funds will be properly uh, distributed. The concern, though, is that how long are they going to hold the money, right? Because these drivers who are doing this protest, uh, doing this convoy, they need access to the money in order to pay for lodging, to pay for food, to pay for gas, obviously, uh, for their 18-wheelers. So... a lot of people who are supporting the convoy are are feeling as if this is a political move uh, where you know essentially GoFundMe is holding the cash hostage so that the the convoy runs out of steam out of obligation because they they can't move forward without being able to pay for. What they need the gasoline they need the lodging they need to to keep going, so it's an interesting thing it GoFundMe hasn't said anything more yet uh, it's not clear if the funds are still being held or if they've been released uh, you know that's that's not clear, but I think the sentiment that that I read earlier from that reporter and this is why it matters is interesting is that it seems like the government in a lot of places, both Canada and the United States don't yet realize the impact one that these restrictions are having uh or, or they're they're not you know talking about it, or they don't realize the potential for this many people to be concerned about the mandates and to be raising their voices about their concerns. Uh, so it's interesting to see uh, this this shift that appears to be happening now of people who were okay with some of these restrictions, particularly earlier on when we didn't know much, but now that we know as much as we do and we know what we do, uh, people are, are starting to say, hey... I, this is not doable we can't continue to live like this because it's you know it's breaking down uh, the functions of our society
0: yeah it's a, it's it's a quite a movement and did did uh, if i'm not mistaken i, I don't think I, I haven't been able to confirm this i do see a page called um convoy to ottawa 2022 restart and i think their page might have gotten shut down the original page uh, or suspended oh, in some way, shape, or form, but but it's already got the the restart one ha already has ninety one thousand members. So uh, mm-hmm. apparently, apparently they're up and going again. But a lot of pictures, a lot of videos on on that Facebook page, um, and there's that five point one million you're talking about uh, that is being held up right now by by uh, by GoFundMe. So yeah, I mean I think especially when you see in Canada and places like New Zealand where there's even more restrictions that are still ongoing. People are just fed up. I mean, they've had enough.
1: Well, yeah, and I think that the the really scary part about this is that people have pushed this so far in government across the world, not just in Canada and the U.S., and the assumption must have been that nobody was going to react. Like, let's see how far we could push it, and everyone's sort of clutching their pearls now in government. Like, oh, my gosh they're they're not standing for this. They're not taking this. <laughs> right. They don't want this. And I think that to me is one of the most concerning parts about it is that there's actually surprise among not only people in government, but some Americans and Canadians who just can't believe that people wouldn't allow their, you know, their freedoms to be trampled on and yeah, these are complicated issues, but I think the fact that you're seeing people show up who you know, guess what? They're not even truckers or guess what? They just are people who care. I mean, I, I saw mm-hmm. that sentiment in the story and in other stories talking about it where people would say, this is Canada, just like we say, this is America. How could this be happening? So it's um, it's really fascinating to watch people draw the line now and say, no, this has gone too
0: far. Yeah.
2: Yeah. What's really interesting to me to see is the number of, so this was started obviously as a truckers protest, but with each city they leave, they're gaining more supporters who are just getting in their cars and driving to ottawa because yeah. they oppose the mandates so like they're saying it's it's not just about the truckers anymore like they're expecting thousands upon thousands of people at the end of this to have descended on ottawa many of them saying that they're not leaving until the government takes some sort of action to relieve these mandates so i don't know what trudeau is going to say how he's going to respond what the you know what the tenor of the government is going to be there but it's clear they're going to they're gonna to have to say something like they can't just ignore this massive crowd of people particularly once they're in ottawa yeah well maybe they'll make like you know the the french president there and just make indian <laughs> the, the
1: unvaccinated <laughs> lives miserable and that'll be their stance it's a great stance to have yeah anyway all right, right. Well, then, <laughs> that that brings us over to our, our story about south dakota and this is this is a really bizarre story for a number of reasons but if you think back to I think it was December we talked about this on the show South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem she went on a mission to quote restore protections for prayer in schools and There was a bill that her administration had created, and the goal of this bill was to basically create um, a moment every morning, a moment of silence, and that was actually the title of the bill, for people to either think or pray. Um, And this was for both students and teachers, and it was going to be something that was required in every public school. The interesting thing is that bill failed last Friday, and it didn't fail because progressives or liberals were against it. It failed because the GOP-dominated House Education Committee in the state actually rejected her efforts. It was a vote of nine to six, and so it didn't even make it out of the committee. Now, this was something, and and you may remember this previous conversation we had in December, where atheists and secular groups and others were, were standing up and they were expressing fear over this bill, over this proposal, um, saying that it would lead to prayer and it would lead to forced prayer and confusion and all these other things. And it, it is really... Intriguing to dive into the text of the bill, which we highlight over at FaithWire. You can read the text, but basically, I mean, this specifically notes that it doesn't offer permission or a pathway for any schools to use that moment of silence to implement what they called a quote religious exercise. So they went out of their way to say, look, we want to create a space for people to pray if they choose to. If they don't want to pray and they just want to reflect, that's fine too. Um, but you can't use it as, you know, a violation of the separation of church and state. You just need create the moment and let people do what they want with it and at the time the governor said look quote every student deserves the opportunity to begin their day with a calm silent moment she said i hope students will take this opportunity to say a quick prayer or reflect on their upcoming day however they choose to take advantage of this time it will be beneficial to students and teachers alike now none of this appeased critics and again We have to look at the fact that this is the this is the GOP essentially who struck this down, it sounds like. And you've got some people who went on the record, uh, Republican Representative Will Mortensen. He was among those in the state who spoke out. He said, quote, maybe it's me, but I view prayer as something that is personal and not performative. And that quote was interesting for, for a number of reasons because, you know, giving, giving this space for people to personally reflect, it doesn't mean that that's a performance. It's you're giving people the chance to have that reflection and that time. Now, this can actually be revived. It can be revived if um, more than half of the house says, I think it's actually one third of the house says look we want we want to bring this back so all they need is one third to sort of revive the bill which could happen there hasn't been anything official from you know her team from gnome's team since this happened last friday but this actually follows by the way another controversy from 2019 where she wanted a quest to have in god we trust displayed in all public schools and that was um that was successful
0: hmm. yeah I, you know you know it's interesting when i listen to this story guys and um, no bias here at all in this in this observation. But um it makes me realize that there is one place where you don't have to beg the governor to come up with a law to have your prayer in school. And that's at homeschool. I'm just saying. I'm oh, just gosh. saying. It's as, you're an
2: advocate. it's as though you're an advocate. It's as though you're an advocate. OK,
0: all right. I'll I'll see myself out. Thank you.
2: <laughs> no, I this is a bizarre story when i was reading it earlier to see i I just was not expecting the pushback the way it is yeah uh, and to see people suggesting prayer is performative (laughs) which i I suppose there there are times when i mean scripture talks about that right not to pray publicly you know because then you've you've gotten your reward right there uh, if that's what you're doing so but that's a different, that's a different issue. Uh, so it's, it's, it's an odd response because I think like you were saying, Billy, to give kids that moment to use it, however they want to use it, whether, and whether they're Christian uh, or not Christian, they believe, you know, whatever they believe uh, to have that moment. It seems like a good way, a good, if nothing else, it's a good mental reset to to start off the day. Uh, so it's an interesting pushback. We'll see. I'm interested to see what the, um, you know, how it shakes out, what the, the state uh, lawmakers end yeah. up doing if they revive it or if they just let it, let it die, uh, as is. So we'll see. Yeah,
0: yeah. It does seem for sure like that. This is something that you would do to sort of push back against all the times where God has pushed out of the public school. So this would be a time where you're saying it's okay for you to do this here. You can, I mean, you could right. pray however you see fit, but I think the point is they want to make that comfortable because everyone was always talking about comfort and do they feel safe? I don't know how Christians feel safe in public schools these days with their ideas, right? Like not that they're violently going to be hurt for them, but just meaning there's no, you know, acceptance for a prayer for, for someone praying in the school in, in, in generally speaking, right? Like if that happens, everyone be like, Ooh, that's taboo. Like you can't do that here. This is a government school. You know, so it just seems bizarre to push back against something that just seems like it's trying to make that space for something. Well, unless there's
1: yeah. something spiritually going on in our world that yeah. makes people want to reject the things that are yeah. true. Yeah, you there know, you go. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's. I, it, it's it's disturbing though in that. A having a space for, for this sort of thing, it actually respects everybody's yeah. religious beliefs, right. And that's, you know, if you don't want, if you want to, you know, pray to your desk, go ahead and do that. Do it, pray to whoever you want to pray to. You don't have to pray to God, but
2: yeah, take a ne- close a your eyes. A very short nap. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Indeed. Go. So I don't know. It's, it, it's bizarre. It's a, it's a weird pushback uh, for sure. I don't know. We'll see.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on it as it goes forward for sure. Um, and give you um, whatever comes of that. So, all right, that is all the time we have for this episode of the Four and Three Podcast. As always, head on over to CBNNews.com, FaithWire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. You can check us out on our CBN News YouTube channel as well. A lot of great uh, reports coming up there every single day. Um, so, we will be back here tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. God bless. See you tomorrow.